Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Vredestein Pinza AT. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. The Volume. This is Prime Cuts, the best of the Colin Coward podcast. All right, Aaron Rodgers going to the New York Jets is official. The draft picks were around what most people speculated. Nobody won the trade. I mean, you can argue the Jets won the trade because they get Aaron Rodgers. I think my takeaway is that I've always said that once a rookie quarterback comes in, I will give him a year and a half. Year two Thanksgiving, you will know what you have. Now, it used to be you gave a rookie quarterback two full years. Bill Polian would say three, but with seven on seven summer camps, uh, the personal quarterback coaching, I'll give you to Thanksgiving, your second year in the league. But it is different with Jordan Love. Jordan Love has been in the building for three years. I will give Jordan Love until Thanksgiving this year. You'll know. By getting another second round pick, the Packers can pick up a wide receiver in the first round, an edge rusher, and a tight end in the second. It's an incredibly deep edge rusher and tight end draft. So the Packers should be able to get three starters in their first three picks. And that's what they're going to go after. In what order? I have no idea. Wide receiver, tight end, and edge rusher. It is not a deep wide receiver class. There is one receiver, maybe two in the first round, and the Packers have the 13th pick. So my guess is they go for the best receiver out of Ohio State. Then they probably get a tight end and an edge rusher in round two. Those are all going to be high rotation or starting players. Then you draft and develop the rest of the draft. This is a team that is ready to win football games. Okay, we know Minnesota is not going 11-0 in one-score games. We don't know if Chicago's any good. And Detroit, though improved, is Detroit. With that gambling scandal, who knows who's going to be available in September. But this team is ready to win or at least be competent. Jordan Love is inheriting a top 10 offensive line, two more than capable running backs, one a borderline star. Christian Watson is an emerging star at wide receiver, an offensive coach. They need an edge rusher. They have a Pro Bowl corner, good interior defensive lineman, excellent young safeties. You can't win nine or 10 games, and we'll know by Thanksgiving, in the weakest the NFC has been in 20 years, then you got the wrong guy. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year. As all of you know, if you've listened to me for years, I love the NFL draft, the architecture of it. 
I mean, the Jets were a great example last year where they nailed their first four picks. The Seahawks nailed their first five, and it literally set the future up. I mean, if they get Aaron Rodgers, the Jets will be able to play with anybody. Probably have to get a left tackle and another receiver, and the Jets will be able to play with anybody. They got two good receivers. They have a pass rush. They just need to upgrade at tight end, left tackle, wide receiver. Joe Douglas will do that in the draft. I mean, Seattle, we thought was a dying franchise. They hit on two tackles, a star running back, an edge rusher, and two corners. Boom. You know, now they just need another edge rusher. They got to get a couple of defensive linemen, maybe one more receiver. And and the sky's the limit. So, you know, other drafts are different. Even a great college baseball player, he's not going to make an impact the following year in the Major League Baseball playoffs. As great as these NBA players are, De'Aaron Fox now is just starting to like turn a franchise around. What is he in year five? It takes a long time. These guys come out at 19 years old. NFL is different for a lot of reasons. Number one is guys come out at 23 and 24 years old. They're real men. They're physically ready to play. So if you hit on your first four or five picks, you know, people lament the LA Rams. They have a second and two thirds. If they nail the right edge rusher, interior offensive lineman, and get a star back or another really high-end receiver in the third round, if they can get three starters, they turn around the franchise. They got McVay. They have Stafford. They have Aaron Donald. You're getting grown-ups, men, physically and emotionally ready to play and start. So the Jets and the Seahawks last year, great examples. You nail your first four or five draft picks. You can, in that moment, you bring in five new starters that you don't have to pay for four to five years. It changes, shifts the paradigm of the entire franchise. I mean, look at how bad the Jets were. The mess Joe Douglas inherits. He even missed on a quarterback and a left tackle. Two of the three most important positions in football. He missed on both. And if Aaron Rodgers signs... And they hit on a left tackle and one other receiver. The Jets can play with anybody in this league, including the Chiefs. They can play with anybody in this league. So I love this week. I think the NFL is the league of hope more than any other league. I remember when Bill Parcells years ago took over the Miami Dolphins and they were 1-15. The next year they won 11 games. And I read an article, uh, Tony Sperano, I think, was Bill Parcells' choice as a coach, kind of a defensive guy. And I remember reading an article somebody wrote in the Miami Herald or, you know, a Fort Lauderdale paper about what Belichick really did was he took the middle of the roster to the end of it. It wasn't the top end of the roster. He he made the locker room better, uh, the weight room better. He went and got grinders and and rotational players and backups and a handful of low-level starters. And he and he, he changed the entire culture of the organization with like 20 new players. And they weren't stars. Most of them weren't stars. So no sport allows you to recreate your roster and your football identity like the NFL. It takes two to three free agent signings, four home runs in the draft, seven, eight new players to start at energy, especially draft guys who are cheap. And you turn everything around. So I can't wait. Somebody is going to do a Jets or a Seahawks, and I can't wait to watch it. All right, Mike Silver, a valuable member of the volume. When breaking news happens, Mike Silver happens. I love that. That sounds like a billboard. Uh, yeah, Colin, uh, I know you remember a year ago or a little more than a year ago, 
we were on together when the Devontae Adams trade happened to the Raiders. And we were like, whoa, you know, because that was right. a little more uh, sudden. But, uh, yeah, this is um, – I think it's, it's an exciting day. And, and I don't want to – Gloss over this for Jets fans. This is awesome. The Jets are getting one of the best quarterbacks of all time, possibly with years left. They have a team that was good enough to almost make the playoffs last year, despite injuries and Zach Wilson being the quarterback for a lot of it. Uh, And Aaron knows this offense uh, intimately because Nathaniel Hackett's now the coordinator. So people might say, oh, it's great for the Packers. It's win-win that we could get into all that, but it's not win-win. The Jets win the day today, in my opinion. This isn't perfectly analogous, but I've three times traveled cross country and took a new job. The first year, whether you're talented or not, with new environment is hard. It's choppy. I hope Aaron plays for a second year. First of all, new defensive coordinators, new conference, new environment. It's everything. New neighborhood. And if you go look at Aaron's history, first year starting the league, a little bumpy. First year with Hackett, a little bumpy. Um, I think he's going to do really well. I kind of feel like it's a 10-7-11-6 team. I think it's. I think their schedule's not the easiest. No. But um, what's a realistic expectation to you? That's a great question because if you look at it on paper, you say, yeah, the AFC is a gauntlet, right? And the AFC East right. certainly is not going to be easy. And they are the Jets. Um, they do have some dudes. I mean, both rookies of the year. Brees Hall was that good before he got hurt. Elijah Vera Tucker was hurt last year. Um, you know, they've, they've got some dudes. And I think they will play pretty good defense. Um, you know, you're right about year one because that was the case in Green Bay, which was year one in the LaFleur Hackett offense. And yeah. they did go 13-3 and three and reach the NFC Championship game with a very good team, but it, it was not humming offensively the way that you would expect an Aaron Rodgers team to. Um, but I think, you know, my I look at Favre, his first year there, which everyone, revisionist history, thinks – sucked and then he went to Minnesota and was really good but Favre had those Jets eight and three right up in playoff contention he was an MVP contention he suffered uh an arm injury that essentially uh you know made him noodle arm the rest of that year and and it didn't go great but this is going to give them a, a real jolt and franchise quarterbacks affect teams in ways that go beyond what most of us see. It just changes the energy and the vibe of the organization. Uh, it lends a credibility to the, uh, the meetings, the practices internally. And I, you know, there, he's going to pull a game or two out that the Jets aren't used to pulling out and that's going to potentially snowball. So I, I think playoffs is a very realistic. Uh, you know, possibility. I think once you're in the playoffs with Aaron Rodgers, if you're peaking at the right time, that could right. be really, really uh, exciting. And uh, I, I guess the other thing I want to say, because it's confusing, right? I, I would, if you told me, hey, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers have decided to come back for one more year, I wouldn't be as wildly upbeat about the Packers. And here's why. I just don't think you'd be getting the same guy in Green That's Bay. Right. The, the guy they had last year uh, was is not the guy that I expect the Jets uh, to be getting today. And that's not fair necessarily to the Packers, but uh, it is a reality. And that's why I think Jets fans should be fired up. 
Well, yeah, I think all relationships can run their course. And I think the Green Bay situation, uh, there was a lack of trust on both sides. There was a little bit of animosity for different reasons. I think you'll get um, I think you'll get a highly focused and energized Aaron. I hope it's for two years. And I do think the Jets will be a viable team. Um, year ones are difficult, as I've said, for a lot of situations. I, you know, it's interesting with Jordan Love. I don't know what we have. Here's the good news. He's been there three years. The size is not an issue. He's a big kid that moves well. If he was in, I mean, if you took Jordan Love today, even with what little we've seen after Bryce Young, he'd be the number two pick in the draft, right? Like there's there's stuff there. I don't know if he can step to the line of scrimmage and audible in and out of stuff. I don't know uh, trailing late in the game, third and 11. You right. know, how is he equipped to do that? I have no idea, but I will say this. It's a good team that needs another receiver, another tight end. And an edge rusher. And I talked to two GMs last week that said it's the best tight end class in years and the best edge rusher class in years. So I, I do feel like this, Mike. I've always believed years ago you gave a quarterback three years. But now with the seven-on-seven seven camps and private coaching, I always say Thanksgiving of year two, you know what you have. But Jordan Love's been there for three years. I feel like we'll know by Thanksgiving – what kind of we have eight, nine games in, there'll be a set because the NFC, Mike, it's not a gauntlet. There's a lot right. of W's in this conference. Yeah, I think that's realistic. Um, you know, I came from a different era where quarterbacks almost always sat. And when they didn't, they took lumps as great as they were. Aikman, everyone but Marino, essentially. But, um, you know, that all changed with Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco. And, and you know, for a lot of reasons you stated, it's a, it's a different landscape now. Um, I'd say the good on Jordan Love is... Uh, yeah, there is some definite upside. I, I remember one offensive coach I really respect telling me before the draft where Jordan Love was drafted, I would take this guy first overall. So there is something special about the package. Um, the, the early reviews were not good. And, uh, you know, he's... It's not quite Trey Lance coming from North Dakota State or Carson Wentz, but it's a guy coming from a smaller program, more like Josh Allen, right? And, um, you know, early on, uh, I think Packer coaches and players were kind of like, ah, man, if this guy has to play, you know, we're in real trouble. And now, again, the standard is very high. So um, that's the good part. Maybe he, I think he, from what I've he heard, he has gotten a lot better. He has developed. He works at it. He's a good kid. There's some definite upside. Uh, I think the hard news is this delusion that many Packer fans seem to have and others that, well, Aaron waited for three years and look what happened. Like this has happened twice in NFL history where a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback was succeeded immediately by another future first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. And it was tumultuous both times. Montana to Young, the Niners did not get nearly as many years out of that combined. The Packers somehow got 15 and 15. Three decades of uninterrupted transcendent quarterback play that could cover up all ills and pull games out of nowhere. And I just just especially young Packer fans, I'm looking at you guys going, you guys, like I, 
It could work out well. They could be a well-rounded team. Jordan Love could be good. The odds of having yet another transcendent quarterback just take the reins and and keep it rolling are not good. And you're not going to notice that uh, necessarily week three in the third quarter against the Bears when you're you know marching down the field. But you're going to notice it uh, in December on third and eighteen against uh, a really good team at times where Aaron and Far before him were able to just do insanely magical things. I just don't think that's going to be the case. And that's not, that's not a slight on Jordan Love. I'm just trying to be realistic. Yeah, listen, if he was as good as a Burrow or a Mahomes, they would not have signed Aaron to an extension. Right. Because there was drama three years ago. If he was as bad as Zach Wilson, they know it. And they right. would have kept. So my takeaway, he's somewhere between 12 and 20. He's probably in that mix, which if it goes well, if it goes well. Yeah, he's somewhere between Kirk Cousins and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo or, you know, he's somewhere in that. But it's also possible that he is Zach Wilson and just hasn't played uh, a lot. I mean, I think he's a more mature person and all that. But like, yeah, but I I hear you. Yeah. Like if, if it goes the way they're hoping it will go. And they've got good infrastructure around him. And Matt LaFleur is a really, really good coach. I think he has a chance. You know, Mike, I I think they're going to look like last year. They're going to be at a nine and eight sort of level, but it's going to be the opposite. So with Aaron, he didn't want to work with the young receivers. They start slow, schedule weekends, they finish strong. I think because Jordan Love's going to be totally committed to the young guys and nobody has film on him, they're actually a pretty good team until Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving, the break, you get film. People now have had their buys. And now I think people take stuff away from Jordan Love that he had in the first eight or nine weeks. I think they're going to end up the same place last year's team did. Um, a pretty a team that would be sub 500 in the AFC, potentially above 500 in the NFC. But it is his first year. The kid hasn't seen live bullets, played from behind, Sunday night games. I think a realistic expectation is Jets 10 wins, Packers 8 to 9. Feel about right to you. Yeah, and he's going to have to have a tough tough makeup because I remember being out on Aaron Rodgers Island uh, his first year as a starter in 2008 when uh, there was a lot of skepticism. And because of my Cal ties and the fact that you know, the blind squirrel nut theory. I was right on this one. And I I had to weather that first year when he was six and ten. Now he played really well a lot. There were a lot of close games he couldn't pull out. He had some injury stuff. So um a lot of people were still very, very skeptical after 08. In 09, he was obviously much, much better. And then we had that epic playoff game against the Cardinals and Kurt Warder. And uh, you know, I covered that game and remember like being pretty sure that we were seeing a guy who was going to ascend. So um, I thought the compensation was reasonable. It was mostly what we thought, which is the Packers uh, are either going to get a couple of twos or a two and a one if Aaron plays. I, I don't think there's a real winner. I, I guess I guess the winner is the team that gets Aaron Rodgers. But right. I didn't think I didn't think the compensation. It was sort of. What we thought, right? Yeah, I liked it. Um, I thought, you know, it was creative. There was some compromise. That swap of 13 and 15 was a good creative way to change the value. Um, Both teams, 
you know, could have stared down longer, but there was good motivation to get it done. I thought if you're the Packers, then you know you're getting rid of them. I thought Brian Gutekunst did a really nice job. I liked his haul, all, all things considered. And if you're Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, A, you got to have them because, you know, you're coaching for your jobs, presumably. And, and you know, it's all set up for that. And, and B, um, I th- you know, I know the Jets just wanted some recognition that if he doesn't play that second year, that they would have given up a lot. And now they have at least a little bit of protection that way. So I, I actually thought both GMs did a really nice job of creatively splitting the difference and doing it uh, in a timely manner. Give me your prediction on the New York media, which can lean ferocious and left and Aaron Rodgers, who's now supporting Robert Kennedy, uh, you know, he's the anti-vaccine candidate. Like, listen, say what you want. There's two different ways to write the same story. Do you think it'll be a rough first year? What do you think, Aaron, who's had some rabbit ears? You got the Daily News, the Times, the Outspoken Post. Uh, there, There's Sports talk radio in New York can be brutal. WFAN. Wildly entertaining um, and outspoken. How do you think it goes year one? It's a great question. I I look at it the same way I look at any coach going into that market or uh, anyone who's kind of, uh, you know, thrown into it. If you win... It's going to be awesome. You know, Eric Mangini was on The Sopranos as Mangenius when he won early. Uh, Rex Ryan was loved, you know, through foot fetish scandal at all. It was all good. And a lot of ways you could keep living off that. Uh, If it goes bad early and you appear to be defensive or out on a fringe or, you know, combative, then it's a tougher place uh, to have thin skin about it. I don't know that Aaron will or whoa, Darren has ways to communicate directly. It's a different era. But, uh, you know, I think if it goes well early, he will be getting a lot of love from those back pages and a lot of the, you know, potential trigger points will be, ah, well, you know, hey, he's got a different view on the vaccines, but hey, did you see that pass on third and 12, you know, but right. if, uh, you know, if, if it's not going so well, then yeah, sure. People are going to be looking for ways to uh, poke and prod and uh, we'll be watching. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's really good? Creighton, you don't watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not, gonna, the, not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team that cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of those. And then they're never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you <laughs> telling me? The whole time. <laughs> 
And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Winter's coming here in L.A. That means more rain. For others, a wintry combination of sleet, slush, snow, and ice. Whatever winter means to you, Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. All-season tires. All-weather tires. Dedicated winter tires. Go to TireRack.com. Use the Tire Decision Guide to get personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from a full line of Vredestein tires. Ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. You'll get free road hazard protection for a couple of years. Mobile tire installations available all over the country. Have you heard about this? They bring new tires to your home or work. Install them on site. Game changer. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. See their Vredestein test results and special offers. They've been at this for over 40 years. Trust me, they're experts. TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. All right, let's bring on John Middlecoff. You know him. You love him. Uh, He's part of the Volume Podcasting Digital Network. We love having him. Former NFL scout. Uh, okay, let's start. I, I thought the first thing that jumped out to me is good teams uh, and good GMs get value. The Belichick gets Christian Gonzalez, <laughs> right? Middle of the first, a very good corner. And the Eagles got to me the best player I watched in college football. Uh, at the number nine pick, they moved up a spot. I mean, to me, Philadelphia, again, they've got the culture. They think they have the coach. You know, Fletcher Cox age. I, I thought Philadelphia got the best player. You know the organization well. What were your thoughts on that? Well, I think first and foremost, if you remember several years ago, they drafted Jalen Rager uh, instead of Justin Jefferson. And it really kind of bit him in the ass, right? I mean, Justin Jefferson went on to be one of the best players in the league and Jalen Rager's not even on their team. I think, I mean, I know that they kind of got together as an organization and said, why are we out thinking the room here? Take the best players from the best programs. What have they done the last couple of years? Devontae Smith, Alabama Heisman Trophy. Jordan Davis, starting defensive tackle at Georgia National Championship. Uh, trade for A.J. Brown, an SEC blue chip guy who, who's dominating. Yeah. N'Kobe Dean, they draft you know, from yep. Georgia in, in the second round. They also, I, I think one thing Howie and obviously Jeffrey Lurie, they know well from the Andy years and they've carried it over into their good teams with Doug Peterson in this last couple of years. His culture is really big. And when you have these veteran guys like, why do you re-sign Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham? They're, they're done because they bring a lot to the table. Yep. And then when you get a situation like this, what's this guy going to do? Act like an idiot around those two guys? I mean, Brandon Graham stripped Tom Brady to win a Super Bowl. He's been in the league for 12, 13 years. Fletcher Cox, you know, is is an all-time great eagle. And while he's, you know, on the other side of his career is just an SEC guy. The other thing they have now to me and I, in football, it's different than like AAU, right? If you meet a kid from LA or New York, AAU, they all play together in basketball. They've all played. In football, if I'm from LA, I don't know the guy from New York or Seattle or Florida, right? Besides in college, if I play them. Well, the SEC guys all know each other, right? right? And they all kind of roll together. Well, think about their team, Colin. Devontae Smith, Alabama. Nicobe Dean, Jordan Davis, the New Georgia guys. Fletcher Cox, SEC guy. AJ Brown, SEC guy. Jalen Hurts, well, I think we think Oklahoma, three years, Alabama, SEC guy. So their core, they all kind of speak the same language in terms of that Southern football culture. Yep. Obviously, they all come from elite programs, especially the Bama and Georgia guys. It's a risky pick. I mean, this guy, I think, scared a ton of teams, as you can see him going to nine. Like, that's pretty telling. 
But I think Howie feels very good about their infrastructure, not with their coaches, with their players to kind of operate a lot like Belichick used to do for years with Tom and some of their core guys where they, as it went on, they started taking some flyers because they felt really good about their main guys. It's, you can't act like an idiot when the, when the top guys you, 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 you look up to and are kind of like, you know, you have a lot in common with. So I, I think that was... I mean, an easy pick for them, obviously. Yeah. And by the way, if for those of you uh, uninitiated, uh, John's a former scout. This is the kind of insight you get, which I've never heard anybody talk about that. But I think you're right on the money. And um, the other thing that jumped out to me is I've said with C.J. Stroud, he is a first round quarterback. I don't see a ton of juice. He's accurate. Jared Goff is a very accurate comp. I think he's a little better runner than Jared. But, you know, there was a lot of speculation i kind of fell for it that they would get jalen carter or will anderson what did you make of the texans getting stroud what did it tell you one thing i I was i was stunned uh in the sense that they just got a brand new coach who's young and i'm a big believer in D'Amico. when i was with the eagles we traded for him as a player because of his character and i've you know lived in the bear for a long time went to the practices kyle shanahan swears by the guy I think he's going to be a stud head coach. I mean, yeah. he's just, he's been good at everything he's ever done in his entire life. I don't know why it's going to stop. Little, I mean, I, obviously, I understand why the GM and the front office and the owner needs to get a quarterback. You look at their, but if you're D'Amico, why rush into this? You know, I, I think a lot of people in the NFL, he throws a beautiful ball. Yes. But when you look at Ohio State these last couple of years, a lot like Tua when he was Alabama, I mean, Colin, you're talking about three or four. Top 15 wide receivers on their team. They're not like a couple guys that play in the NFL, right? These are top 15 picks. Well, technically in Jigba, 20, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is it. And the speed difference in the Big Ten relative to even two in the SEC, the, the advantage Ohio State has. I, I do think that Georgia game, though, because the, the Jared Goff comp was definitely something that kind of stayed with it. But that yeah. Georgia game, he was running around. He looked like kind of a different player. Yeah. Um, now, I, I don't know what your take was, but the take of like uh, when he responded to the test, I'm not a test taker. I'm a football I player. That. I didn't love that. Qu- quarterbacks get held to a higher standard, man. Right. You know, I mean, right. you're not you're not playing slot receiver DB here. So, I mean, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Lamar, those, those guys don't they don't get defensive over stuff like that. Uh, but risky move. I, I actually thought their move trading back up to get Will Anderson, who I liked a lot, but holy moly, they gave up a lot to go back from 12 to 3, especially but I guess when you're in the when you've drafted the quarterback and they got all these picks coming from Deshaun Watson, maybe they're they're not thinking about Caleb Williams and Drake May anymore, obviously. I mean, I thought Seattle, you know, I I just think Pete, you know, a lot of people thought Jalen Carter, he he takes some swings. They did not mess around with that, which I understand Everyone I know and teams that had no shot of getting this guy, they loved Witherspoon. Kind of a throwback to, you know, some of those teams they had with Russell Wilson, those LOB teams. Absolute just MF or just stud. I mean, big time tackler can play inside, outside. You can move them around, can tackle. Seattle's got two twos, a three and two fours. So of their three needs, one was Lockett DK. They needed another receiver. They needed, they wanted another. And they got one. I mean, he's good. He's awesome when healthy. Yep. And then they got a, a wide receiver and then they get, you know, um, uh, Jackson Smith, Nick Najigba. So they end up getting two of their three needs. I think they need a guard now. And then a, a later an edge rusher. But I mean, if you look at last year's pick on ESPN, they put up the last six or seven like great young players. 
I mean, they are, they had a run, John, where I think Pete Carroll and Paul Allen passed. They had a run where Pete had too much control in the draft. And it feels like they've given it back to John Snyder and the scouting department. They have not missed on a pick. We the got last- the tackles. They got Kenneth Walker. I mean, they, they, they got a good young nucleus. I mean, they, they, got- they won nine games where I'm guilty. I thought they were going to be terrible. And they, they were they were really good. And I think they're going to be even better. I mean, because they got so many young pieces that they're building around. Okay, so I think we both agree Seattle did well. So, uh, Jameer Gibbs, the running back. So, people are going to bang on Detroit's picks. Now, Gibbs is a very dynamic. And again, Alabama, big school. You see them run over guys and run past guys in the SEC. So, you know, my takeaway on Detroit is the last two drafts with this front office, John, I've really liked them. And so, part of me thinks to myself, with Swift – and Gibbs, as they're trying to take, they love their O-line, okay? They solve their corner issue a little bit, right? Are they basically saying is we want to take the pressure off Jared Goff? Or, I mean, I was watching them high-five in the room. Like, this was not a pick they had trepidation over. These guys were high-fiving. What did it say to get a running back when they have Swift? Um, because their O-line can control, I think, can control a lot of the defensive fronts in that division. Is that what they're saying? I, I think in most most drafts, when you see a guy that you go, you know, I think it's fair to say going into the any draft, a guy like him is like a early second, you know, somewhere in like thirty-two to forty pick. This draft was viewed as pretty terrible. Like yeah. the difference between pick eight and twenty-five, you know, you, you might not be able to tell the difference. Like Kincaid right. going twenty-five to the Bills might be no different than the sixth pick, you know. So it's just time will tell. People were not that comp. This was not Jamar Chase and the Waddles and the Panay Sewells and the Michael yes. Parsons. That wasn't this draft. So when you go, well, they got to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff when he had a great running game, right? With Sean McVay in, in with LA. And last year, Jared Goff statistically was excellent. Well, they had another pick and they got a linebacker. So their defense, I mean, I think Aiden Hutchinson is going to be a really, really good player. To me, he's got some whiffs of Joey Bosa. I mean, he's, he's got a chance to be a 12, 15 sack guy next year immediately. So if their defense is just incrementally better, their offense... I mean, the USC wide receiver they have is a stud. Like you said, their offensive line is a stud. Their coach, while he's an offensive because he's a tight end, is really wired more like a defensive tackle. I mean, he wants to be a tough physical guy. I'm with you. If you love this guy, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because I watched them last year, and they were an impressive operation. So I think they know the wiring. The other thing is Dan Campbell came from Sean Payton, you know, over that five or six year run when he got fired from Miami and went there, became his assistant head coach. They had really good drafts during that time when the Saints were really good at the end of the 2000, you know, the teens, right? The 17, 18, 19. So I think he knows the wiring of the guys. Remember, sometimes the Saints, you'd be like, well, they did that and then it would work out. Right. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it was a little eye-opening because you see the second running back come off at, at 12. But I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because I know their play style and I know what they want to do. I... When, the other thing is, when's the last time a running back from Alabama beside Trent Richardson hasn't worked in the NFL? You watch them all over the league. They're all successful players. Well, and Jared Goff's history is when Gurley was healthy, he's been a really good quarterback. When Jared gets in trouble, is third and long. Okay. So is Detroit saying, we love our OC. We just don't want to get in third and long. You and I know. I saw Goff outduel Mahomes. When they had Gurley and they could run, Jared was getting you to the Super Bowl. It's when the O-line aged 
and they didn't have a consistent run game. Now you lean on Jared Goff and it's not pretty, right? So I look at Detroit and I think they love their OC. They have good young receivers, excellent O-line. Swift got banged up and maybe they're just saying, listen, we're just going to do a one-two punch and we're going to, and by the way, in that division, the D-line for the Vikings, the D-line for the Packers, the D-line for the Bears. Are you going to pick them to win the division? You picked Minnesota last year. To me, it, obviously injuries can happen, but Detroit would be my pick as of recording this today to win the, yeah, win the it, North. And again, our, I think our, is Detroit looking at that division and thinking our O-line is significantly better in those six games against the D-lines in our division? Can we go five and one in that division? For sure. And in a weird way, because they haven't even made the playoffs, right? But if you assume that they're going to be in the mix, the three teams that are at the top of the conference, the Eagles, the Niners, and Cowboys, are all physical teams. So you're get, this is not a lightweight fight. You're getting in the ring to fight heavyweights. So you have to be willing to play like that. And Dan Campbell is now building a team. Who do they draft their second pick in the first round? A linebacker from Iowa, right? I mean, he, they have a type of guy that they're looking for to build their team. And honestly, that should translate to playing the Cowboys, the Eagles, and just give them a chance if not in 23, the next couple years, uh, obviously, you know, Jared Goff is going to be the guy we talk about the most, but he's proven if you can do it around him and their roster, I, I like the lot with the Lions have going on a lot. So, um, I mean, the, the Will Levis situation, um, I talked to people that I really trust and their big concern with him was, listen, the kid is smart. We know his mom went to an Ivy League school, Yale. We know he's a four point student. Why is his judgment so bad? And what I heard was Jay Cutler is that Jay Cutler was arrogant and obstinate. And if Jay wanted, Jay had a rope, Jay had an arm. And if Jay wanted to sling it, he didn't give a shit what the coach said. And Jay, I'll argue it forever. Jay had one of the best arms in the league. When he played, he had an absolute hose, but Jay was stubborn, rigid, difficult, and people worried Will Levis with the selfies, the gun show, look at me, the combine, he wore a muscle shirt. I had, I had a head coach and a GM told me they hated that. I mean, I listen, uh, Brady Quinn works at Fox and I like Brady, but that was one of the knocks I heard is that an at, you can't be jacked as a quarterback. You have to be fluid and lo- you don't see biceps on Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning. Your take on Will Levis dropping. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that he was a fascinating player coming into the season and then the season was a disaster. And I, I had people that really like him. That aren't necessarily quote unquote decision makers, but are, you know, high in their organization and said, if coming out his junior season or whatever, two years ago, when Liam Cohen, right, the Rams guy was his offensive coordinator, he would have been a lock top five pick. Then he goes to Rich Scangarello, who a lot of people are down on, disastrous season. And then, like you said, kind of has a bad off season. The lifting things, you're not playing offensive tackle or linebacker. No one cares. It's about pliability. It's about fluidity. And that's a big knock on his game is fluidity, touch. And we've seen so many guys, Brady Quinn, Kaepernick got really big. Whether you can throw it 120 miles an hour, if you can't throw a strike, who cares? You're not going to make the big leagues, right? So touch is a big issue with them. I also think that like Anthony Richardson, who this raw guy was viewed as very moldable. One thing I have heard, like when he went and met with people, they were just like, you know what? This guy means well. Like, I would love to be around this guy. There was a lot yes. of positive vibes around him. 
very grateful. Like Anthony Richardson wrote a penned a letter. He was like humble and grateful. And it's like, John, you look at that and you think, okay, this kid wants to learn. Yeah. And whether it works out, only time will tell. And more the history would show us it probably won't. But I know that a lot of people were down on him. And during the process came away the opposite. Like, I'm rooting for this guy. I think this guy, not crazy to go in the top five. His The ceiling is sky high. And I think Will Levis started getting more negative and negative. Not, like you said, anything malicious. Right. But the, the buff stuff, the, the lifting the pictures on Instagram within the last month, like, what, what are we doing? You know, it's just, I mean, he didn't, I mean, he tumbled. I mean, this was a guy that I think after last season, 21, when Kentucky had the really good year, uh, I, I don't see how he wouldn't have been a top five pick. Not with those measurables, right? But then, yeah, I mean, I, I, I clearly the league is very, I mean, this is a quarterback starved league for no one to touch him. Right? It's crazy. Winter's coming here in L.A. That means more rain. For others, a wintry combination of sleet, slush, snow, and ice. Whatever winter means to you, Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. All-season tires. All-weather tires. Dedicated winter tires. Go to TireRack.com. Use the Tire Decision Guide to get personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Michelin tires. Ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. You'll get free road hazard protection for a couple of years. Mobile tire installations available all over the country. Have you heard about this? They bring new tires to your home or work. Install them on site. Game changer. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. See their Michelin test results and special offers. They've been at this for over 40 years. Trust me, they're experts. TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Colin, how you doing, man? What a game. Harrison Barnes with the shot of his life. He had a chance to erase all the pain and suffering from the 2016 finals and he left it long. Well, they needed that Draymond block. They needed the 22 from Jordan Poole. I feel like I'm watching the younger Warriors take on the old Warriors. They, Steph and De'Aaron, get baskets, get great looks when they want. You have enforcers. You know what? I, I watched this tonight. In the second half, and I'm like, outside of Denver, is this the Western Conference final? Like, are these now that the Warriors are at full strength, are we watching essentially the Western Conference final in round one? I remember I, I had a similar thought after uh, the playing games, and everyone's like, oh man, the Wolves and the Lakers, they're both terrible. What an ugly basketball game. And I have like a completely different feeling about this. I think all of these teams are awesome. I think the Kings are awesome. I think the Warriors are awesome. I think the Lakers are awesome. I think the Suns are awesome. The Nuggets have been arguably the most impressive team in the first round here in the Western Conference. And like, again, like what you're seeing here is it doesn't, it's a two seven matchup and it's a first round matchup, but these are two teams from an overall talent standpoint that are typically the types of teams oh. that you'd see in later playoff rounds. It's they're incredibly yes. evenly matched. I want to, I want to give a special shout out to De'Aaron Fox because there's this thing that happens 
And I mean, we've even seen the reverse side of this with Darius Garland on the Cavs this year as he's really, really struggled um, uh, to yeah. just be consistently effective throughout the series. Every time we see a young player kind of rise up the echelons of the NBA, there's always this question like, is his game going to work when they get to the playoffs? And some guys struggle to get separation. Some guys struggle in the physicality. Like Trey Young had a really good game in game three against Boston. That's the outlier. He's had like six straight playoff stinkers before that. You know what I mean? De'Aaron Fox, his game translates so well to this level. And I actually think you'll find this interesting, Colin, because you've been super critical of this type of player. Right. This ultra-athletic point guard. That is this unbelievable downhill force that plays with passion and energy. That player has failed time and time and time again in NBA history. And the thing that separates, in my opinion, De'Aaron Fox from the others is he legitimately has outrageously good shooting touch from everywhere on the floor. And And so whoever's guarding him like has to give a certain amount of space just by ver- just just to attempt to contain the drive, and so and when he and he's deadly on those shots. Well, and also um, Westbrook and Wall, especially, they didn't play with a ton of self awareness in their prime. They were going a thousand miles an hour. De'Aaron pays with uh, plays with really good pacing. Mm-hmm. He knows when to slow it up. I mean, he you look like you're watching a 12 year veteran. Like he knows when to speed it up. Steph does this. You know when to, when to, he, you know he'll he'll go right through traffic. He's trying to speed the tempo up, and it's not really to get a shot. It's just kind of to see if he can find a little crevice and get to the basket. If he can't, then he pulls it up and waits for the bigs to come down. De'Aaron's got a real understanding of pace and tempo. He's not playing with his head down. Everything, you know, it's like Patrick Mahomes. He sees the field. He sees the court. He sees everybody. De'Aaron Fox is really smart, and he plays like a really smart basketball player. Steph Curry's really smart. Some of this is just guys. De'Aaron also, not that he's not vertical, but he's kind of, uh, he's, I would, I would, you know, if I was a scout, I'd say <laughs> smooth, smart, um, beautiful offensive game. It's gorgeous. I mean, mid-range, outside, everything is pretty. Um, so I don't really put him in that. I, I, I you know, and I, and I feel like he's a, he's a little bit like Steph. Probably I trust De'Aaron more in a mid-range, Steph on a three. But I think their games are so much about manipulating pace and tempo. John Wall never did. John was just, get me the ball and I'm going to race everybody down the floor. And the wings are like, bro, hold up. I can't keep up with you. And Westbrook has a little bit of that. He, it's a hundred mile an hour fastball. It's the quarterback that has a fastball. You know, he throws it on the deep post. He throws it on the screen. It's, it's a one tempo thrower. And so I think De'Aaron is, I, I think he's an all timer. I think next year he'll be, I think right now he feels like a top 10 player, maybe 10, but I think if they get past the Warriors, he's going to be a top 10 player because I, I feel like he's just 12-ish. And then you're watching him in this series. You're like, um, I mean, if I told you today, Ja Morant or him, I'd take De'Aaron Fox. He's been great in every game. This is this is an outstanding defense in a high stakes playoff series where he came in as the underdog and he's been great in every game. Like he, I, I mean, look, like. 
people always get a little freaked out when we start to talk about lists because you you feel bad about bumping guys. But I mean, here's the deal: like he's he is performing at this level against this type of defense at a higher level than most of the players around the league. I think that's completely reasonable. I think you know it's funny over the course of the series, I've been talking a lot about how the uh, the Kings have no answer for Steph Curry, and that's a big part of why I haven't I've been yet to. Uh, relinquish my stance that the Warriors will win the series. And I still feel that way. I picked them in six. I'm going to stick with that for right now. Um, but like the, the reality is, is like the Kings should feel really good about their chances because the same thing is in reverse. Like they, I, I did think it was interesting that we didn't see as much Gary Payton today. Um, they spent a lot of time with Draymond Green on Deer and Fox today, which is a super interesting adjustment. Yes. Also, yep. just so, what a, again, what a, what a, an amazing uh, uh, luxury as a coach to be able to do that. And they did a similar thing last year in the finals. If you remember when they moved Draymond Green out onto Jalen Brown, because he can just, the thing with Draymond is he has these obnoxiously long arms. First of all, his defensive performance down the stretch of this game was so ridiculous. And there was a lot of talk over the last couple of days. Oh, the Warriors better without Draymond, which everyone just gets dumber whenever that happens. They were 11 points better per 100 possessions with him than without him in last year's postseason. They were 14 points better with him than without him in this regular season like that 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 argument is dead on arrival i can't believe it ever even gets brought yeah. up he blew up some plays around the rim you're thinking of the block oh on, my on, god it's bonus he had another play Sabonis is coming down the floor on a short roll it's a two-on-one harrison barnes is standing wide open in the dunker spot ready to go up and dunk it and Sabonis goes to pass it to harrison barnes and draymond just pokes it out of Sabonis's hands he blew up a two-on-one that's a basket 95 percent of the time in the nba like he was he was yeah. unbelievable defensively in this game. But even with him, he has to give a little bit of ground to De'Aaron Fox to try to contain yes. that drive. And on that final shot, the one that De'Aaron made that brought it back to one, like he got a great contest on it, but that's what great players do. And De'Aaron Fox has done that this entire series. He can adjust his release based on where he is on yep. the floor and he can knock these shots down. Well, and also Draymond's got really good hands. Um, Clay Thompson's are okay. Wiggins, I think I've really noticed it with Wiggins. He doesn't quite have his wind yet. And his hands, sometimes when you don't have your wind, you can lose your legs or you get sloppy. Wiggins today had four or five balls that he just couldn't secure. For a guy that's not a great shooter, Draymond's got strong hands and good hands. Like he touches it, he gets it. His timing. Um, There are certain players in the league that uh, and because, you know, I employ Draymond, one of his many employers, by the way, <laughs> uh, he's a talented guy. You know, people are going to you know say, Colin, uh, you have a bias. First of all, I've said this a thousand times in my career. Every great team of my life, Haslam for the Heat, Rodman for the Bulls, Derek, uh, uh, Rick Fox for the Lakers, uh, Lambeer for the Pistons, Draymond Green. All great dynasties, Bruce Bowen for the Spurs, have a feisty, annoying, tough guy. And his job, he's in the league because he's smart enough to know. I mean, Bruce Bowen scored, he could score 20 a game in the league. He's like, I knew on this team, my way in the league to rings was to play the way I had to play. Do the stuff that nobody else wanted to do. If you don't get Draymond Green, like if you don't understand, have you ever noticed out by around outside the arc, they bring him up. They want him to have the ball in his hands, him to set the screen, him to make the pass. Like 
That organization puts him in the crosshairs. You make a mistake out there, it's a layup or a dunk the other way. Like this organization has so much trust for Draymond with the basketball in his hands. He's such, we think of him defensively, but as you watch him, Jason, he's such a catalyst. His passing, his screening, his hands. Uh, if, you, if you don't, people that don't get him, you don't get the game. No. Like anybody, know, everybody knows that De'Aaron Fox and Steph are great. That doesn't take, you know, you're watching Jalen Brunson. He's obviously a, such a unique, fun player. Guys like Draymond, like they just don't. Sometimes I watch Draymond and I think he should open a clinic on how to make the NBA as a star and average eight a game. <laughs> like he does so many things that you don't think they like screening, passing. Um, he does so many little things well that you don't necessarily like you don't get points in a box score for screening or those little he'll screen those little touch passes that don't get the assist, but they're the pass before the mm-hmm. assist, the incubator of it. Like he doesn't get a lot of credit for that, but he was so big late today, to your point. Yeah. You know, it's funny because uh, a lot of people have been comparing him and Dylan Brooks, which drives me crazy. They'll be like, oh, they both make the oh, give me I've never seen Draymond Green shove a cameraman just to be a jerk. Okay, like there's there's a different there's a difference between like like just being a jerk and being a guy who's kind of a physical instigator. There's no doubt that Draymond's a physical instigator, and Dylan yeah. Brooks is that and more. And the other thing too is like Dylan Brooks is a bad is a limited offensive player from a skill standpoint that doesn't get it and will take eleven shots in a quarter in a in a road playoff game in Los Angeles. And you're like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like, like Draymond has his offensive limitations, but he understands his role. And I love how you pointed out all those yeah. little things because it's you're right. They love to have the ball in his hands. They've been running a ton of Steph high pick and roll as this series has progressed. Yeah. Like there was a play at the end of this game where Andrew Wiggins made a floater. Steph runs the high pick and roll. They trap him. He makes the drop off pass to Draymond. He's rolling down the basket. Looney and Wiggins kind of mess up. They both cut. And you never want to both cut because now you're getting in each other's way. It's better for one guy to cut, one guy to stay at the three-point line. And Draymond like hangs in the air and just waits barely for Wiggins to kind of break open and hits him in stride and Wiggins makes the floater. And I'm like, man, that was kind of an impressive play in traffic in the short roll. They like having the ball in his hands. He can disrupt guys below the rim defensively. He can disrupt guys above the rim defensively. Tap out rebounds is a big one. There'll be like a ball in the air and he knows he can't go get it, but he'll just run up and and just tap at it and just keep it alive. So I kind of feel like Sacramento almost ended the dynasty. And I think, the, I think they're going to look at that film on the way home and they're going to think, we just gave one away. We just gave a game away. They outplayed Golden State early. Too many turnovers. Um, they're, they're a tough out, man. They are the baby warriors. They're a tough out and they're really smart. As I said, at the start of this, I just feel like they need another shooter and they'll probably get that in the draft or, you know, somewhere in free agency. I actually think if they upgrade the Sabonis position at any point, they could be super dangerous because like the, the unsung heroes of the series have been, well, I say unsung, the real heroes of this series have been Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox and the simple fact that nobody can yeah, guard Malik them. Yeah, played well. Malik's been good in this whole yeah. series and it's funny because uh, the Lakers couldn't afford to keep him, but that's the only reason he's not a Laker right, right now. He was one of the rare bright spots last year. Uh, just an excellent shot yeah. creator that can beat people off the dribble and knock down threes. He just... He played so well that the Lakers were financially incapable of retaining him. You know, it's funny. I right. I actually think the war or the Kings deserve to be slight favorites right now. Um, they've played well enough and they have two games at home. It's pretty simple. That said, 
these games are going to reach a fever pitch of intensity and drama and stakes. And so I still lean, I still lean warriors just because they've there's look, if it's game five and it's 100 to 100 with three minutes left, there's no doubt that the warriors will be more comfortable in that situation simply because they've right. been in those situations before the same goes for a game seven. Again, I, the Kings should, I bet you they were positive in the locker room. I bet you they feel good in their film session. They should feel confident, but I, I think these games are going to get even more sweaty palms, even more high drama, and I just trust the Warriors a little bit more. What, what was your take on that Lakers blowout of the Grizzlies yesterday? Do you think it's? Do you think the real matchup is more like the first quarter or more like the last three quarters? Well, I think the Lakers. I think we both chose the Lakers. I think they're better. Um, I, I, I always felt. There was two things that were true about Memphis. They were they're deep and they're inexperienced. And uh, I'm not saying depth and experience are everything, but it's they feel like they need another score to me. You know, Jaw was sensational, but I I just feel like um, they need another dependable score. I mean, you you really don't want somebody scoring 45 points in a playoff game. You really don't. I mean, that's just, I mean, everybody's in awe of John Moran. It's like, you know, you can go back to the Kobe stats. Like the Lakers were awful when he scored over 35 points, right? And so, you know, Jaw starts playing well. He plays downhill um, and it's fun. It's magical. But I just, I never, I mean, listen, they were a two seed. The Lakers were a seven. And I felt was, you know, I sit on the air. I said, if I say it on the air, I believe it. I'm like, I think the Lakers are going to win this series. They were a 43 win team. <laughs> Right? When's the last time a forty-three win seven seed you take them over a two seed? Like confidently. And Memphis yeah. was one of the Yeah. And Memphis was one of the best home teams in the league. So I just don't I don't feel like and we're seeing it with Cleveland, by the way. You know, you really young, have some depth, but Garland and Mitchell. I mean, the Knicks aren't even getting a good series from Julius Randle. He's not playing well. And and so I just don't feel like um I think Sacramento uh, regardless of, uh, I think Sacramento is really close to being a championship team, like a player away. Uh, I don't with Memphis. I don't always love. Um, I f- I feel they're a little a uh, little less mature than Sacramento, a little chippier, little less self awareness. Their stars had some problems. The King star is like Steph, mature. So I, I, it's not that I don't buy into Memphis, but I, I really never bought into them as a championship team. I really don't. In fact, if you told me the two really young teams in the NBA I like, I would say it's Sacramento and Cleveland. Cleveland's been disappointing. Like these playoffs, basically, Jason, nothing surprised us except Cleveland. I mean, that's the only series where if you'd have told anybody, yeah, Julius Randle, good game one, doesn't do anything, and they lead 3 1, that would be a surprise. I think almost everything we're seeing, including the Lakers, Grizzlies, we all kind of expected. We trusted LeBron and AD uh, over the last three weeks. They just won a lot of close games and they won a lot of games against for the same reason they're winning this one. I'm glad you said that about Memphis because I actually agree. I don't think they're close either. A couple things. The only position I think that they have really, the only spots that I feel really good about, like really good about, are Jaron Jackson and Ja. Desmond Bain has been bad in almost every playoff game that he's played. 
especially over the last couple of years. He struggles mightily to create his own shot off the dribble and guys are yeah. good at chasing him over those screens to lessen the quality of the shots. And he yeah. can't make like, like Austin Reeves has soundly outplayed him in this series. You know what I mean? It, the, the Grizzlies have severe limitations in shot creation and off ball offensive skill. I was talking with a buddy uh, yesterday about this. Like, what scares me for the Lakers is they can get lazy. And you saw that. Like I tweeted right after the first quarter yesterday. I'm like, just get ready for them to do the bare minimum to try to win this game. You know, and like <laughs> the whole game, the whole game, it was like, oh, they got back to 11. I guess we should start trying again. I like, get it up to 16, 17. And then they'd have three bad possessions right. in a row and it'd be a 10. And we're like, oh, all right, call timeout. All right, let's go get control of this game again. Like, I, I think the Lakers are so much better than the Grizzlies. I, I think that people are. So do I. But to, in, in, to your point about the arrogance. The way Ja was acting in that fourth quarter, like, oh, I've got these guys. Like, I'm like, they're yeah. not even playing anymore. They're jogging back in transition. They're barely guarding you. In the first quarter, you couldn't even get a clean look. He shot two for 10 right. on two-point shots before the fourth quarter. Like, they they have figured out the job pick and roll because Jared Vanderbilt and Anthony Davis have taken away his floater and they've shut off the rim yeah. on him. They've, they've, they've kind of figured that out. Memphis, to me, has so, uh, has so far to go. But with the Lakers... In their lapses in in execution and effort, what freaks me out for them there is Sacramento and Golden State because Memphis is a young athletic team that loves to play fast, but they're unskilled, like remarkably unskilled compared to other NBA teams. Yep, Sacramento and Golden State love to play fast, and they are super skilled, like at every position. Right. So, like they will those teams if they have those same brief lapses in judgment and effort in, in execution, the Lakers will get run off the floor by the Warriors and Kings. So, like as good, it's weird. I feel so confident that the Lakers are going to beat the Grizzlies, but I am so hesitant to pick them as a team that can make a real run because they just have. It is part of their identity. As soon as they start to feel even remotely comfortable. LeBron and Anthony Davis go, how can I start conserving energy? And it's going to be something that gets them beat, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I also think that the question we asked about Memphis all year, because Jaw's not a great shooter. He's a great athlete. He's got the floater. He finishes at the rim. If you take the rim away, you take a, a, a chunk of his field goal. I mean, it's it's the Westbrook. I, he's, a, he's a better shooter than Westbrook. But if you took the rim away from Russell Westbrook, he can have really bad nights and it gets into his head really fast. Mm. Even great shooters, um, I mean, LeBron for a big chunk of his career, like didn't like bigs around the basket because if he lost confidence in his three, he could always beat guys off the dribble, score and get back into it. LeBron always liked, liked his Bosch and his Kevin Loves. Yeah, stay clear. I think at this point in his career, he, he shoots threes, makes them, misses them. Nothing's in his head. He's kind of graduated last couple of years. But Jaw's not a great natural shooter. So if he's not hitting the three, and the rim's closed off, you're not beating people on floaters and, and mid-range jumpers. And so I think when I look at this team all year, my takeaway was, well, if you, if you shut Jaw down a little bit and make him shoot 41%, who's the second dependable scorer? There isn't one. And they just don't have one. Make sure to check out the Draymond Green Show. 
I brought Draymond Green into the volume because one of the more entertaining voices in sports, unique perspective, understands behind the rope, also chops up with guests like Gary Payton, Zach Levine, Tracy McGrady. Make sure, download the Draymond Green Show wherever you get your podcasts, only on the Volume Podcast Network. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.